Joseph, welcome to the Tony Shop Show. Tony, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's, it's an honor to get, get this kicked off with you today. So with that said, let's kick it off with the one word open. Give us that one word right now that you could describe how you're feeling over there in Austin. It's leadership. Simply awesome. put. Very cool. Uh, let's, let's go into your business. Tell us, you know, let's dive in. Let's tell us about your business, what you do, uh, who you help, and how you got started, where you are at today, and where your future looks like. Yeah. So thanks for asking. The business that I'm in, and really can be best described now as a serial entrepreneur. So there's not just one thing that I work on, but there's one central theme that I work on, which is to help founders and CEOs grow their business and more importantly, innovate in, in times of uncertainty and change. Uh, and one of the reasons why I enjoy that space and I feel like I'm pretty good in it is that kind of describes who I am and where I've been. Whether it was my 20 years in the United States Army, both in peacetime or in combat, my two trips to Iraq, or inside the innovation space in our United States military. I then took all those leadership experiences and then team building skills, went into the world of entrepreneurship built a company called Ride Scout from absolute scratch. It was a commuting tool for your phone, a mobile app that allows you to go from A to B and see all the different versions of ways and per permutations and combinations that get to work. So imagine Waze meets Google Maps meets Uber and Lyft and smash them all into one. And Mercedes bought that company back in 2014. Uh, I've even delved a little bit in the world of public service and running for public office. And so I, once again, built a team from scratch, learned how the ecosystem works in terms of product market fit, uh, and in the end, built a really successful campaign, a really successful opportunity for our cause, what we're doing. And then what I've been doing ever since then with my main business, which is Grayline Group, is focusing on how to take those CEOs and founders that have brilliant ideas or they themselves are just fascinating forces of nature and then grow their business. So I, as a leadership coach or leadership development or leadership um, trainer, whatever word you want to use, take those skills and experiences and help people grow their business, especially when they know what they've got is a great idea. They just can't get to that next edge. So I take all those experiences in military, business, academia, uh, even public service, and then package them all up. Some of my favorite companies that I'm working on right now in Greyline Group have also to do with leadership. And one of them is the mentor method. You can find them at thementormethod.com. They're helping companies that are bleeding talent because it's so easy for people to leave and go to new companies now to allow CEOs to invest in their people and investing in their people. The best way to do it is through leadership training, is through personal development. But it's that professional development that is best guided by a mentor and someone who gets to know you as an individual and then meet your specific needs, talent gaps or personality traits to be able to help you learn and grow. So, Tony, I just hit you with a lot there real quick on kind of the business that I'm in with Grayline and how we help other companies. But I'm happy to take this in any direction you want. Absolutely. Well, thanks for giving us the um insight into what you do and how your whole story is, is amazing how you started. And before I ask you the next question, I wanted to personally take a second to say thank you for your service. Thank you, Tony. But I also want to point out really it's the families uh, that deserve most of our thanks because I wanted to be in the army. I wanted to deploy. Uh, they just married into and were born into a family and they didn't get a chance or a choice. Uh, so I appreciate you thinking about the families too. Absolutely. So speaking of the pandemic, this is my next question. I wanted to find out from you how you had a pivot or how did you help clients pivot? Because the majority of the audience listening 
is basically the tip, the typical person you help. So it'd be kind of cool to hear from you how you pivoted with pandemic or how you helped clients pivot. Yeah. Well, obviously it all goes back to the future of work and I'll go through this theme three or four times as we're talking about, but let me break down a couple of them that are so obvious to some people, but I just want to tell you why I think it's important to frame the argument this way. When we talk about the future of work, we first have to define work itself in terms of value added. There were a lot of companies who swore they would never be successful if they sent everybody from the office because they couldn't monitor and check on how they're doing. Many of those people ended up being far more effective at home, away from distractions. And it's really calling into the question, as you know, the value of being in group settings. On the flip side of that, people also realize whether they're introverts or extroverts like myself, we are still tribal people at our core, at our very DNA, the evolution of our species. So we have to be together from time to time to collaborate, to innovate. And I've heard it best said by somebody, uh, Pete Newell, a friend of mine, he said, Sure, we might be more effective workers individually outside of distraction, but we are not better innovators by ourselves. Uh, no better book than Walter Isaacson's book, The Innovators, to really bring home that point. So when the pandemic happened, I took all these life experiences, all these opportunities uh, to watch companies grow, also see some companies fail, uh, and then more importantly, watch some leaders thrive in the unknown chaos of COVID, and then watch others shrink away from the challenge. And so what I spent most of my time with helping companies all throughout, uh, whether they be in clean energy, whether they're in leadership and development, whether they be in transportation, mobility, the experiences that I have are far and wide ranging. And but there was one common thing. The common thing among all those companies that were successful were the ones that were not afraid to adapt and who were not beholden to old practices. And we see that all the time in the news now. We've got a lot of companies that were saying, okay, pandemic's about over. You're all coming back to work, uh, meaning back in the office. And there is a great exodus known as the great resignation that a lot of companies are struggling with to figure out how to get through that. Uh, but one more thing I'll say on the future of work, we're also recognizing that value added has more to do with the skills, talent, education that a person has and their ability to apply it uh, than necessarily what age or stage they are in life. And what I mean by that is we're finding that a lot of young 20-something talent that can code, that does have experience in database management, whatever area is needed, they are thriving in a way that it is so hard to hire them right now because they're just being poached from one company to another. On the flip side of that, we have a lot of people who are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, so either by choice or by circumstance, never added new skill sets, never went back to school, never did night courses, didn't go online and take courses or even study podcasts like yours, Tony, to really work on their own self-development. And they're finding themselves in a hurt box because too many companies right now are looking for specific people for specific roles. Uh, and if you're just a pure generalist without much experience in any one area, you're finding it really hard to plug back in. And I have friends that, you know, middle age, they're having trouble plugging back into this economy, this new future of work, and it's frustrating for them to see. So anyway, just a, a quick snapshot of the COVID changes that I saw. Wow, that was amazing. Thank you. Uh, I would love to hear your point of view on thought leadership. Tell us, you know, basically, what are your thoughts on, you know, a person that's walking the talk, so to speak, as a thought leader? What does that look like to you? 
Well, there's two things I want to capture, and I hope I circle back around to this. But uh, so I do a lot of paid public speaking. And, and one of the reasons why I think I've had a lot of fun in that area is one, you have to be able to tell a story. And there's a lot of paid public speakers out there that are great storytellers, entertainers, if you will. And then in addition, I think a great public speaker, or in this case, to your point about thought leadership, someone to help you think through the future, they also have to have the real world life experiences of having been there and done that. And the reason why I think that that's so much more important uh, that people overlook is if you are looking for someone to answer a specific question, A plus B or one plus two, you can get a very specific answer and that's fine. But if you're looking for a scenario where, hey, what I'm going through doesn't quite fit with your experiences or your story in this or that. But if you, the mentor, you, the thought leader, have been in a number of different situations and you've been able to see the patterns that emerge from crisis, patterns that emerge from difficulties in teams, patterns that emerge from different product market fits, whatever the challenge, the more real world life experience you have, the better you're able to relate to your audience or to your client or to the CEO I'm trying to help. Because yeah, sure, maybe her problem doesn't fit neatly in the world of this vertical, but let me share with you what I've seen in these other verticals. And that's why I think thought leadership requires those two pieces. One is the ability to tell a story. And then the other is to be able to share the experiences of real world life experience. And by the way, there's a lot of people that have built companies and been very successful, but they can't carry a story or keep an audience uh, engaged at all. And they just bore people to death. So I think why thought leadership is really broken into two points. The other thing I'll drive home though about thought leadership is it really, in my opinion, comes down to a phrase I've been sharing for years with audiences and CEOs, is that people will be what they can see. People will be what they can see. What that means is you as the person in, in charge of the team or in charge of the company or CEO or whatever leadership role you have. By the way, it doesn't even have to necessarily be a formal leadership role. You could even be an informal leader of an organization. But people will be what they can see means that the change that you want to see in your company, you have to role model it. You have to lead by example. If you want them to be at meetings on time, you have to show up on time. If you want their reports to be done to a certain standard, you have to do your reports to a certain standard. Being that role model, leading by example, is the absolute best way to create thought leadership within an organization because by its very definition, you're going to make people think you're going to make people think about what it is that you're doing and leading by example. And conversely, the opposite is, and simultaneously, the opposite is true, which is if you are a toxic leader, if you are burning your people into the ground, if you are only in it for yourself, that's going to come across in spades. And you might have a short-term victory because you might just burn your entire team out to get one short-term victory but you are not going to be successful long-term. And so thought leadership to me is about being able to tell stories, being able to share those real world experiences that you've had and then apply them to new situations. That's the thing about the future. I think Yogi Berra said it. The, the hard thing about predicting the future is predicting the future. And so the best way to do that is to be able to think thoughtfully about the patterns that you see and then apply them forward but perhaps just as important is to be able to stay adaptable and agile in your own thought leadership to accept new ideas.
to realize that, well, first of all, I don't have all the answers, but I can look to my peers. I can look to history. I can look to other folks' experience and see what applies there to make your thought leadership genuine. And most importantly, worth reading, worth listening to, and worth following, uh, which is the whole reason why my business partner, Brett Boyd, and I wrote the book Catalyst, because we believe that leadership and strategy in ever-changing world has never been more important than today. Uh, and there's enough lessons from history that if we apply the model of how change works, then organizations can think about changing their underlying assumptions, or at least reviewing, will the market always be like this? Will uh, customers always want this particular fit? Will they always want this particular price point? Whatever your assumptions are, unless you're constantly challenging them, uh, you're going to find yourself in a situation where the market just takes off in a completely different direction and leaves you holding an empty bag. That to me is about thought leadership, you know, apply those lessons forward and make it interesting for people to want to listen. That was beautiful put. put. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted to kind of for you to describe what problems would I be facing or what challenges am I dealing with day to day? Uh, and if I'm dealing with those challenges and going through it day by day, you know, when would it make sense for me to reach out to someone like you for help? So, you know, here I am having th these specific issues every single day and when does it make sense or what do I look for that would make sense for me to reach out to you, Joseph? Yeah. So, uh, you know, your listeners, your viewers can find me at josephcopser.com. And what they'll find when they get there is that what I love to do, going back to the first question you ask, is help provide the leadership or at least the framework for how leaders of organizations need to view really difficult problems. And usually, more often than not, those problems occur from change that happens outside the organization. And then sometimes, of course, it's change internal to the organization that is a reflection or reaction to change on the outside. So what I help companies do, especially younger companies that are trying to figure out their next big steps, is to help the CEO or whatever members of the C-suite tackle those challenges that almost every single time has less to do with strategy or technology uh, or business. And more often than not, it comes down to people. It comes down to how do you motivate people? How do you get them to accept change? How do you get those people to all see the same vision that you're trying for? How to get them to put in, if not the same effort as you, as something as close as possible to be able to move it forward. So generally speaking, companies that come to me are ones that realize, holy crap, the industry underneath our feet is changing faster than we can get the organization to move and pivot in that direction. Come in and help us think it through. Uh, the other groups and companies that come to me are young companies, like I say, with these brilliant ideas, but they've just never been there, done that to raise the money that they need, to think through the leadership challenges of building and hiring their first team members, uh, to be able to think through what the strategic partnerships are that they need to do, to really understand how to go to that product market fit. And I say both big companies and small companies, because as people will find out when they go to my website, uh, I've actually been there, done that at both the tactical and the strategic level inside of four different uh, silos. So you take in the military, you know, I was boots on the ground, uh, you know, in Iraq, working at the tactical level. I was the chief of staff for an 1100 person battalion that came with its own set of challenges, but we could see them all right in front of us because we knew all 1100 soldiers. On the flip side, later on in the army, I served as a special assistant to the chief of staff of the army, the four-star general, the CEO, the modern day MacArthur Eisenhower that runs the whole army. And I got to see problems 
at the global level. And it was fascinating that both at the tactical and strategic, it was all about people and how you adapt to change and how you motivate them to be able to move towards a common cause. And I did the same thing in academia, whether I was teaching in the classroom or running a department at the University of Texas. I also did it, like I said, in business, starting a company from absolute scratch, a PowerPoint slide and an idea, took it all the way through acquisition, and then ultimately stayed on with Mercedes as an executive, helping them think globally about the future of mobility. And then, of course, like I mentioned, I also did that in the world of politics. So on one hand, uh, at the tactical level, building a team, but on the flip side, also involved in a lot of meetings in D.C., thinking about big ideas and how we get people more involved in their own community and their own electorate. So uh, whether it's small companies trying to learn and grow or big companies that are trying to adapt and change, it all comes down to people. And I help those CEOs, those founders, those C-suite executives think through the big ideas and provide them a framework for being able to how to do that. Wow, you're so right. It's definitely 100% about the people. Yeah. Yeah. And you do, and you're up to making a big difference for a lot of people. So that, that's really awesome. With that said, here we are at the end. If you could close us out with a one word close, Joseph, what would that be? And tell us why. I'll close out on optimism because even despite the turbulent times we're in right now and a pandemic, a land war in Europe, I am still optimistic and believe in people at the end of the day. And it's that middle of the bell curve of people who are very decent, everyday, hardworking people. They're just trying to make a living. They're focusing on jobs. They're focused on education. They're focused on their kids' future. I am optimistic that despite the challenges we have in front of us today, we're going to be able to grow companies, build businesses, help people, uh, and continue to do better as a society. Thank you very much, Joseph. Thank you, Tony. Thanks for having me on.